there's just so much information that guides what you do today. It's, it's amazing. You could work so much smarter and get so much more from your money than you would back in the day. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, entertainment, innovation, disruption, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito, usually here with my co-host Tom Richardson, but he's off this week attending a wedding somewhere in New England here in the uh, late to middle part of June 2022. Beautiful day for it on a Friday as he heads up north. Good luck, Tom. Uh, but today, with the 50th anniversary of Title IX just behind us, um, we are going to talk about innovation and leadership, especially it become, uh, with regard to sports that happen to be played by women, uh, but also about career changes and how you kind of evolve, uh, because our guest today uh, has dealt with balls large and small pretty much throughout her career um, and has really was there for a lot of the, the early days of, especially around the WNBA in the garden, Madison Square Garden, uh, but now has really evolved into yet another position as she's pivoted back in the WNBA with a team in Connecticut that's doing very well. So Amy Shear, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to catch up with you. It's been a long time. I know, a long time. And, and it's good because nobody gets any older, which I really like the way that works. <laughs> yeah, so. my mirror says otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> So Amy, why don't you just kind of take, uh, you know, you you were really kind of at the forefront a lot with the WNBA at the beginning and obviously mm -hmm. through the Liberty, through all those great years with Blaze at the Garden. And mm -hmm. um, why don't you just kind of take us through your career and obviously the, the, the big stops that you had in, in soccer in the middle as well and now how you mm -hmm. got to the sun. And then we could talk, take a little bit of a look back, but also I'd love your thoughts on kind of where the business is evolving. Yeah, sure. Um, so started my career uh, with the New Jersey Nets and um, spent a good chunk of time there, really sort of learning the business under Jim Lamparello, uh, a legend in his in his time with the with the Nets. Um, then had the privilege to move over to the Liberty for ten years and run the business there under Hall of Famer Carol Blaszczowski, uh, which was amazing. And then, yeah, to your point, took a took quite a pivot um, and, and actually left sports for a couple of years uh, with Grand Central Terminal. Um, and then was fortunate enough to help launch NYCFC uh, from, from day one and um, spent that first year getting the team up and running and then moved over to the Red Bulls uh, to oversee the commercial business. Um, and then really spent a couple of years just consulting, um, doing a lot of different things uh, with the Westchester Knicks, the Connecticut Whale, um, Major League Rugby and um, Rugby United New York. And then actually was consulting for the Connecticut Sun um, and then ended up, they hired Jen Rosati, who then brought me on full time. So got, getting to work for another Hall of Famer. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, so been around the block for sure, but it's been a fun trip. It's been a fun trip so far. So take us back um, the transition from the Nets in New Jersey, which I'm sure was an adventure unto itself, playing at what used to be, when was the Continental or the IZOD Center at that point? I don't even remember. Uh, Continental. Right. Um, going from there to the Garden and the WNBA and the Liberty and kind of the maturation of where the Liberty and the WNBA started from a business perspective and, and in your opinion, especially now being with the Sun, where is it now? Um, so, you know, it's interesting. The 10 years of the Garden were great. Um, and 
the difference of running a WNBA team when you have sort of the behemoth of the garden with you is that you had a ton of support, right? So very, very lucky to have gone into a situation, even though it was the early years where, right, like Dan Gladstone and fan development would come over and help and Karen Buchholz and community relations would come over and help. Um, and, and Lois, Lois, you know, would come in help on the on the analytics end so you go into the garden and you've got like uh just a wealth of resources to help you every day and help you work smarter um than at that time any other WNBA team was working so I think having been part of Madison Square Garden and having sort of this big wealth of people behind you you were actually able to operate at a higher level than a lot of the other WNBA teams um because as you know, right, on the W side and women's sports side, resources are shy, whether it's human resources and financial resources. So while at the Garden, our financial budgets might've been small, like, and, and our Liberty staff was small, I had a whole team around me that was willing to help and appreciated the product. So um, while it was definitely the early days, I believe I started, it was year five, the WNBA there. Um, we had such an amazing fan base, the marketplace, right? When you would walk into Madison Square Garden, our fans reflected New York City. And so I think in terms of like diversity and inclusion and how our fan base was, it was, we were sort of ahead of our time, um, which I think was pretty cool. Um, and we did a huge campaign around raising the game, which was a big campaign about on the court, off the court. So I, I feel like Blaze allowed us to get a little bit ahead of the curve um with the WNBA from where it was at the time um but the players you know at that at that time the players would do anything you asked them to do we were mm -hmm. able to build the business we were able to be in the community every day um while obviously the city is a big community to cover um you know to where we are today where you know I feel like basketball and social justice are almost on the same plane mm -hmm. where like before it was basketball 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 and you know, the league was very protective of the image. We've gotten to the point now where the WNBA, the players could truly be themselves. Um, and I think it's, I think that's happened for all sports, you know, for players too, where it's like, you know, I go back to, you know, I'm not just going to shut up and dribble. Um, but I think all of sports has had this big evolution where athletes can be themselves, not have to sort of pander to sponsors and league. Um, and I, I think it's huge for the WNBA to get to that point where, not every player has to be projected as being feminine. And um, so I, I think sort of the evolution of the league has the biggest side has been, I think, on the player side where the evolution of the game is amazing. Um, but also the fact that the players truly now have a voice and the league has positioned itself, uh, I think, very firmly within the American and public conscious. Mm -hmm. And the difference... For those people who don't know, uh, the Sun moved from Miami, now play, I think, probably the only sport, only the team that plays on a on indigenous land because you play at the casino. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's, how does, how does the difference, given where you were then to where you are now, the business opportunities and kind of the, the marketing and the selling of a team uh, like the Sun in Connecticut, the differences between that and obviously being in the garden, but just the overall uh, kind of the way that the WNBA has evolved into its own own standalone business today. How, how has that been different for you? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, 10 years ago, you'd pick up the phone to try to sell a sponsorship or try to sell tickets and you'd have this 
enormous education element that would have to be part of the conversation. Oh, who are the Liberty? Oh, well, we're, you know, the uh, New York club, part of the Women's mm. National Basketball Association owned by the NBA. We play at Madison Square Garden. Here's our average attendance. And you'd have to go through this whole education um, to try to sell people on whether it was a ticket plan, like as a dad, you should bring your daughter. Why should you bring your daughter? Like our athletes are role models. They've graduated college. The, this whole education process, it, it would take up so much time. And I think now you could pick up the phone and whether it's a partner, potential partner, or uh, you're selling tickets, people know who you are. Uh, people know who the WNBA is. Um, and that sort of sales end of things or the education end of the sales process, it really, it may be there, but just only to a small amount where you might be actually explaining why your team is important and what you do is important and where you align. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is that whole education process now um, it is you don't need it. Uh, people are fully educated on who the WNBA is, what we stand for, um, and, and where the league is headed. Cool. Um, so in between, as, as you had mentioned, and, and I had mentioned at the beginning, uh, these two stops with the orange ball, you, you had probably one of the more unique experiences working for not one, but two MLS teams in New York. Yeah. Um, explain a little bit about the roles there, how that was different from working on the basketball side with the WNBA, two WNBA teams, uh, and how that's even evolved with MLS now, obviously MLS now doing their Apple TV plus deal this week. So the difference in the culture of the Red Bulls, NYCFC, and kind of the lessons learned from a business side of both. Yeah, you know, going to NYCFC, first of all, having the opportunity to work for Tim Pernetti was amazing. Uh, one mm -hmm. of my, like, what a great guy um, and one of the best people to work for ever. But uh, the really cool part was obviously being part of the whole Manchester City family and getting to learn about soccer at like a global level versus just a national level. Um, and being able to pick all the brains from the Manchester City global office was just mind-blowing, just how learning, obviously, globally how big the sport is, but understanding their footprint and how big they want it to be, like, they, and still, like, their, their global aspirations are phenomenal, and so it was really learning how they think big and to think big like them, um, because it's like soccer world domination. How do we do it? Um, and also very innovative. And so it was a lot of listening and learning when I first got there. Um, and I was also very lucky, like Claudio Reina, who was the GM at the time, really took an interest in teaching us the sport so we can actually talk the sport as well um, versus having a superficial knowledge of it. So I, I think mind-blowing in terms of like understanding soccer's place in global sports and understanding how it's, it is to think big and innovation. Um, and I mean, what an opportunity, like also, by the way, starting a professional sports team in New York City. Mm -hmm. I mean, when are you going to get that opportunity again? Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'll forever be grateful to Tim for putting me in that position. Um, and then the Red Bulls, you know, very much a little bit different, like, you know, globally Red Bull more hands-off, right? They're, they're in the beverage business. And they originally bought the team as an American, you know, sort of something in their toolkit to help sell the, right. the beverage. Um, so, you know, the folks in Salzburg were a lot more hands-off. Um, I think while we were definitely 
you know, in the forefront for trying to be on the sponsorship and ticket sales side. I think the Red Bull, what I learned at the Red Bulls um, was their youth academy system is just the preeminent youth system in the country. Um, and that's really the Red Bull philosophy is homegrown and then sell. And the guy there, Dave Jervis, that runs it, um, he was an absolute, he's an absolute master at it. And so I really got to learn the youth side of the soccer business, which is, by the way, a huge money-making business, mm-hmm. um, like eight-figure business. Um, and so very different culturally um, in terms of like the office atmosphere, very different goals as organizations. Um, so I, I got to learn a lot about both sides of soccer, sort of the global business side and then, yep. you know, the youth soccer side. How, um, when you look at just taking those four very distinct fan groups and the way you talk about them, um, do you have to market differently to each one or is there a core fandom element that you take in your bag of tricks to everywhere you go, whether it's WNBA, City Football Club, Red Bulls, uh, Connecticut Sun? Yeah, I, I don't, by team, because you have to market to the individual. And so mm-hmm. I've always sort of prided myself on making sure that we had the proper research and we understood uh, the psychographics of our fans, whether it's a soccer fan or a basketball fan or a hockey fan is what makes you tick and what's mm-hmm. going to make you come out to the event. And so when you go out and you market, you make sure your message is really geared towards who that fan is. So it might be a soccer mom, but it also, you know, then I might have the sort of male millennial who's not married and having the time with his buddies, those are going to be two very different marketing messages to the same event. Uh, and they will probably sit completely separate um, and have completely different experiences. The like marketing is, is personalized and it's based on all of the research that you could do. Um, and yeah, sure, there are some team specific things, uh, but it's, it's all about individual into the person or marketing to the person versus the sport. Amy, in your time with uh, all the organizations you worked with, especially the Nets, which were famous under John Spolstra for Ice to Eskimos and selling and marketing and getting uh, kind of the fan background, how much has business intelligence changed and how do you harvest uh, information um, and use information in the positive for fans now, say, at the Sun that were different, you know, even a few years ago? Well, business intelligence has changed a lot um, thanks to social media and all the things you can do electronically now, you're actually able to do a lot more quantitative where uh, before it was much more difficult, right? All phone calls, one by one by one. You know, now you can do email, you can do social media listening. So it's a lot easier now to get information. Um, and, but the big thing is, is if you get the information, obviously you have to put action plans against it. This, with the Sun, one of the first things I advocated for was to get research on our fan. Uh, to understand their motivations, why they come to the games, um, what are they looking for, what do we want to do with them, um, and then we also continue that after each game. So, uh, and, and you have to rely on that research. So every game, the next day, we send an email out to all of our individual buyers and ask them about their experience, ask them if they'd come back again, and and what would make them come back. And so we use 
we use that information to call them up and say, hey, like you said, you enjoyed the experience, you want to come back. And you said, you know, this is, this is why you would attend again. And we create a plan for them. And so for, you know, research is everything. Business intelligence is everything. And it's just changed dramatically. Um, with social media listening, you know, you always know what people are saying about you, not just on your channels, but other channels. There's just so much information out there now. Um, you can't let it paralyze you, right? But you do have to let it guide you. Um, you know, like little things, when, when are people buying individual tickets? So I know when to spend my ad money, like eight days is too many, four days is perfect. So there's just so much information that guides what you do today. Um, it's, it's amazing. You could work so much smarter and get so much more from your money than you, you would back in the day when you just hope X, Y, Z works. Now you, you know if it's working or not and you can pivot all the time. So information's great. Mm -hmm. Cool. You mentioned um, some of the people you work for and the places you've been. If you look back now on, on this career, especially now with Title IX being 50 years into this now, um, what are some of the things that really stand out as like the aha moments or the, the great moments from your career from the Nets all the way through to today? Are there two or three that just jump out? Um, I think along the journey, as I think you would agree, you take something away from every stop. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think with Blaze, right, Hall of Famer, pioneer, um, you know, just a little too soon in her career to, you know, not be able to get an Olympic medal because we boycotted the Olympics and really a little too soon to make a career in her terms of being on the court. But um, really, you learn the mindset of what it takes to be a champion and what it takes to be great. And from her, you know, I learned that toughness um and truly the work ethic of what it takes to to be great and um you know always try to listen to the message sometimes not the tone um you know because she definitely was a tough boss but always very fair and I always knew she had my back and I would I always used to tell her like I love to hate you and I hate that I love you um and so from her I think I learned truly what it meant to I truly what it meant to to make it and what it would take to have that championship mindset um, and appreciate her work ethic and everything that she had done in the business. Um, you know, from, and now actually, interesting enough, right now working for, for Jen Rosati, uh, you know, a hall of famer as well. Um, you see that similar championship mindset. Um, and again, that work ethic and her coming from a coaching background into the business side, she has a completely different viewpoint in how she looks at things. And so learning to look at things from a new lens, because I've been in this business for so long, for me has been so refreshing uh, because she comes from a completely different place and her leadership is amazing. So literally every day, I think I learned something from Jen about leadership. She's just a remarkable like human being and I, I love her. Um, you know, I, I think NYCFC, uh, you learn how to think big, right? Um, you know, you learn something everywhere along the way, right? I think when I was with the Nets, you just have to figure out how you're going to make it, right? Like, hmm. I'm going to volunteer for everything. I'm going to, I'm going to be a sponge. I'm going to listen. Every state, every step brings you, I guess, along further that you sort of put in your toolkit of, of how to be a good human being and a good professional. How, um, just before we get to the final two questions, 
what was the net? So the Nets experience, you were there not when they, before they made it to the finals, correct? Way before they made it to the finals, right? You were there the Calipari years and the, the kind of yeah. I, Swamp I literally, Dragon years. Yeah, so. I literally left. And then the next year they went into the playoffs because um, mm. they had just brought Rob Ford over to be the president. So okay. I was there for uh, John Calipari, Chuck Daly, mm. uh, Butch Beard, Oh. Jason Williams was Jason, Jason Williams. Jason Williams, Stephen Marbury. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Derek Coleman. Uh, mm. I mean, been through a lot of great players. Kenny Anderson, a lot of bad players. Um, but you um, know what? So like, that along was those lines, maybe, what was it like when, especially you were at the Garden now with the Liberty, not as much with the Knicks, obviously, but mm. what was it like being on the inside of the Garden? looking out at the nets versus the nets pointing across the river. I mean, were there different skill sets that you needed to sell both or was it kind of the same thing? Oh, it completely different. Um, I, I think, I think what was amazing about the nets is I think the nets were innovative before innovation was a thing, right? We were the mm -hmm. first team to do a free public, a uh, free like playbill, like play that Playball magazine. Yeah. Uh, we did a kid's radio show. Um, we did a TV show. Uh, we did all these really cool things on the marketing and branding side that no other team was doing at the time. So the Nets, whether it was out of like desperation because the, the team needed to compete in the marketplace, were always pushing the boundaries. And we did so many cool things that we probably got no credit for. Um, and so for me, being in that position, being able to learn those skills at the time, Quark and InDesign, to be able to design the play balls, being able to learn how to produce a TV show, uh, we were way ahead of what other teams were doing at the time. And it was also a very familial atmosphere, um, you know, friends friends for life. Um, mm -hmm. And then you go to the big corporate behemoth of MSG and you have so many layers of management. Um, you had to spend a lot of time learning to, you know, get work done there um, mm -hmm. and who was going to help you and who was not going to help you and how to make friends. Um, but I also understood that within the garden, we couldn't live within the culture of what the garden had established. We had to develop our own. And so I, I think to some degree, I sort of tried to isolate our team a little bit there to be able to develop a familial culture within the garden. Um, and also for us to try to be innovative and a little bit different. And I was lucky to have great partners to help me do that, like Bobby Gallo, like Dan Gladstone, um, mm -hmm. Karen Buchholz. I was able to, Rick Nado, have good partners that I think saw our value and, and would sort of push our culture with us. Um, but like, you can also see the Knicks selling out every game, every game, every game. And the, the, the stress was so different of like make budget versus like, all right, once we get the budget, what do we do? How do we get more money out of people? How do we raise prices? How do we, it's, I mean, night and day. Great. I, I think that's really helpful. And it really explains for people who don't know what the, a massive marketplace like New York can do and, and how you can still be innovative, even at an NBA team. You have to so, be. yeah, along those lines, how do you, the, so the two questions we like to ask everybody is with all the things you have to juggle, um, how do you stay informed and up to date now? And then, you know, you've been in so many unique places over your career. We touched on the four kind of tent poles, but What's for someone who's either changing careers and sadly we're seeing a lot of people now in the last couple of weeks starting to change careers or people just starting out recent grads, mm -hmm. what's the advice you give to people? So how do you stay up to date and what's the advice you give to people? Um, staying up to date is I just try to take like 15, 20 minutes every morning, <clears throat> excuse me, and read all the newsletters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every Sunday I read yours. 
um, you know, and then during the week, whether it's John Wall Street, Front Office Sports, Sports Business Daily, um, you know, uh, whatever um, Angela Ruggiero is doing, I read hers, mm -hmm. like she's got so much cool stuff going on. So I literally try to spend 15, 20 minutes every day trying to read the newsletters to see what's going on. And if something sort of piques my interest, I'll try to read further about it. So I try to read all the newsletters. Um, I also, you know, try to talk to peers, like what, what's, what are you doing in LA? What are you doing in Seattle? Um, you know, what's going on in Washington? So I try to keep up with, with my peers as much as I can um, and try to, you know, just touch bases as best I can um, because your network is everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think you would agree, like, especially the MSG network, right? I think we roll deep and we roll hard with each other. Um, <laughs> So you just always have to rely on that network. I think when you go through hell with people, right? Like you, you, you may remain bonded for life. So you rely on your network to keep up. Um, <clears throat> advice, um, everything. And start when you're in college. Uh, get your experience in college because coming out, you need something that differentiates you. When you get in a position, volunteer for everything because that's how you're going to learn. When they need people to work an event, volunteer. Um, if you're moving boxes, volunteer to move the boxes. If someone asks you to make copies, read what you're copying. Don't just make a copy and give it back. Mm -hmm. Always ask questions. Um, go into the leadership team's office and ask questions. Be curious. Um, yeah. You know, but but make yourself visible. So just have a learning mindset and volunteer and do as much as you can. That's outside of your job purview for what you're getting paid for. And don't complain. Just show up and work hard every day. Yep. All good advice. Uh, lastly, Amy, uh, if people want to find you, what's the easiest way to do it? And then where's the best place for people to find more information about the sun? Uh, so ConnecticutSun.com. Um, you could also, we've got the best social media team in all of the WNBA by far. So we're on uh, at Connecticut Sun on Instagram, TikTok, um, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we've got an unbelievable creative content team. I think if you go on and you look at all of our social media, you'll love what our team is doing. Um, and then for me personally, uh, just you could drop me a note on LinkedIn and Great. I'll definitely get back Perfect. to you. I check on LinkedIn all the time. Cool. Well, once again, uh, I think especially given the tumultuous week that has gone on here in the third week of June with the positive side of the 50th anniversary of Title IX being in the middle of it, it's great to talk to someone who's really lived this for a few years. That's all we'll say is a few years. Um and, and the lessons that you've learned, I think, are, are amazing. And the way you've been able to kind of pass those along is also really important. So, uh, so Amy Shear, Vice President of Business Operations for the Connecticut Sun, the latest stop in a long and storied career. Uh, we wanted to thank you once again for joining us on the Cusp Show today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great catching up. Cool. So once again, this has been the Cusp Show at Columbia University. Another episode in the books. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, uh, Tom Richardson, and for Yash, our producer today, thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the road.